La pendule fait tic-tac, tic-tic Les oiseaux du lac, pic-pac, pic-pic Glou, 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 font tous les dindons Et la jolie cloche, ding ding dong Mais boum, quand notre cœur fait boum Tout avec lui dit boum Et c'est l'amour qui s'éveille Hey, bonjour Rugby Friends and welcome to a new edition of French Rugby Connections podcast with moi, Véronique Landieu and... Hey Mike. Hey Mike, guess what, guess what? Toulon still remains unbeaten after six games. Yeah. Lyon is finally making his first entry at number three and they were the only team this weekend to have won their away team. Okay, good start. So tell us more about yourself, Kieran. For our young listeners, your rugby career, how it all started, because you were born in Dublin, so potentially you could have played for the Irish team. Yes, I mean, I was born in Dublin in 1971 and my my parents moved to, to Liverpool when I was four. And so we still had a house in Ireland, would go back every every holiday. But rugby was obviously big in Ireland. And when I came to, to Liverpool, it, rugby league was one of the main sports. And then, you know, I trained, tried a bit of rugby league, but then I went to rugby union mainly at Waterloo Rugby Club. And it wasn't a professional. You, you didn't have a career like you do now. You couldn't say, I want to be a rugby player. Obviously, I wanted to play for England and I wanted to play at a high level. So I played England schools. I played, you know, against France. We got beaten a few times against the French, French English schools. I never kept the program. So it would have been nice to see who I played against to see if they, they went on to play for France. But so yeah, I, I sort of like rugby was my passion, but there was no career. So I studied to do law at university and I was still playing rugby at a high level in the premiership. And amazingly, I got capped in 1993 when I was very young against the All Blacks. But the game was amateur then. So, you know, players like Philippe Seller, Manel, Thomas Castillo, you know, mm. a lot of all of the, a lot of these players started out life as, as amateurs. Maybe Thomas Castillo, I think he was always a professional. So we had the luxury of traveling the world, playing in full stadiums, but then on a Monday morning, going back to work, going back to study, going back to jobs. Mm. And it was a very different life. And our, our celebration was the night after a game would be to go out with the French team or the Welsh team or the South African team and have a party to remember. It's very different <laughs> now. Whatever it is, it's sort of got more and more professional. But so, yeah, I feel blessed to have, been, you know, straddled both the amateur and the professional. Yeah, I mean, my first England team meeting was in Canada. Mm -hmm. and it was on, it was it was actually the, the meeting was in a jacuzzi in Vancouver with the whole squad in a massive jacuzzi. And then 20 minutes to get to the nearest strip club. Otherwise, you'd get fined. So, uh -huh. so it was a different world. It was, just, I mean, it was a different world. You know, we lived in this different... I mean, thank God there were no mobile phones. Uh, you know, players would be getting in at six in the morning and up for training at eight in the morning. Hope, hopefully no one could smell the alcohol. And the stories were fantastic. The time was just unbelievable. I, I always, uh, I was very lucky to play in the era where France were very good at rugby. And so 
you know, the, the, the French team were like the All Blacks team back when I played. They were sort of amazing players. So when Saracen signed Philippe Sella, it was, we were all very excited. But obviously half the team were amateur, half the team were professional. So the professionals would go off to the gym waiting for the amateurs to train in the evening. So I remember going to the gym my first week and we do a training session. And anyway, Philippe goes into the jacuzzi first. So he's in the jacuzzi and we all walk in. And we get, and he looks at us and he looks a bit bemused and he says, why have you got your shorts still on? <laughs> and uh, we were all like, why in, what, in France you have them, you have, you, you don't wear shorts in a jacuzzi. He said, no, we don't. I said, but you do know that it's, 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 it's for mixed, it's for men and women. He was like, really? He thought it was just a male jacuzzi and it was a, a public gym. Then walks a young lady in her costume <laughs> and gets in. So we're all giggling, thinking, do we tell her? What will Philippe Seller do? Anyway, he's in there for about half an hour waiting for her to leave and he's not leaving. We're all laughing, wondering what's going to happen. And he was sort of, he was, he was, he was, his body, his skin was getting boiled in water. <laughs> so he decided, you know what? I'm going to get out of the jacuzzi. So cool as a cucumber, he got up. Completely naked, naked, turned to the lady and said, I am very sorry, but I didn't realise that in England they were swimming shorts. And he just walked out and everyone just gave him a round of applause. <laughs> so, so, yeah, that was, he, he had a great sense of humour. So it was great on the rugby pitch, but even better off it. He was a, a, a wonderful man. So I got all of that. I did all of that. And then the phones came in to ruin everything. Oh, yeah, it became professional. And you started your career at, uh, you moved from Bristol to Saracens. Yeah, so I did four years at Bristol as an amateur, playing for England while I was there. Mm -hmm. And then in seven, I signed my first contract for Saracens. And Saracens signed Philippe Abdel Banazi, Califano. Yes. You know. Loads of amazing players. It was like the Real Madrid, the, you know, the Galacticus team. It was just incredible, and we had a, a brilliant first year where we won the we won the Tetley Bitter Cup. We should have won the league. Newcastle did the same. They signed loads of internationals, so it was a, a fantastic time to be part of thousands. So, how do you think Nigel Way managed to get all those players? You know, Lainar, Sela, Pina. I know what he did with Michael Lainar. I think he bought him. And his wife tickets to watch the Lord of the Ring the night before, <laughs> and then the day after, he, he took um, a liner, Michael liner, for lunch, and he said, "Do you want to join?" And he said, "Yes." Something happened there. But what do you think? What was his magic touch, and how did he approach you? Well, I think probably, I mean, one of the one of the driving factors would have been money. You know, so people were offered not, you know, good contracts, and I think. Nigel was all, all not only about by you know getting players and paying them well, but it was about you know getting the, the right people. And it was that first year was incredible. The, the sort of people we got, you know, Michael Liner, you know, Philip Sellers, some of the best players in the world. And for him to bring them all together, obviously, he didn't show them our training pitch, which had dog poo on it. He, he never got our training pitch. He basically pretended we had this amazing training facilities. I think Francois was a bit shocked when he turned up and saw dog, dog, dog poo still sitting on our pitch that we were training on. So, 
Uh, listen, it was, um, it was amazing. You know, there was a great atmosphere when we, we, we all got together and I, I felt being part of something very special. Definitely, definitely. Those were the days. And yes, you did win the Betley, is it the, not the Tetley Beater Cup. And I think yeah. at that match, Mike, Philippe Sella and Michael Aina decided to retire officially. Yeah. If my memory yeah. is good. It was a great end for their career. I mean, 70,000 people at Twickenham, all the family there. It was an incredibly tough year. You know, the, it was great to win that, but our, our dream was to win the league. It would have been yes. nice to win the league, but, but, but Newcastle won it on points. It was very, very close. But yeah, we had a great year, you know. We surprised everyone. You know, no one thought that we could get... Um, it was amazing because it was, you know, if you imagine different personalities coming from all the way around the world i mean it was very very difficult to get to work you know lots of people have tried it but it's very hard to get a, a frenchman an australian an irishman a welshman a scotsman an englishman you know <laughs> it sounds like a joke <laughs> have you heard the story with a frenchman and a scotch and a welsh yeah yeah and there's always stories about hating the englishman so uh, but you It was it was an incredible time where we all came together and felt as a team. It was a great, great atmosphere, great fun. I mean, I think I remember our initiation ceremony for Philippe, myself, and Michael Liner was in, in up in Glasgow. The first tour, first week away in Glasgow, we were told we had to drink a pint of Guinness with three eggs in it. Wow. And yeah, and we had to do it in one go. And if you got sick, you'd have to do it again. So it was quite tough. Watching watching Philip was pretty good, but watching Michael Liner trying to trying to neck a pint of Guinness with eggs in it was, was uh if, if only I had mobile phones to, to film that, it was amazing. Amazing story. And you know, I had Philip Sela on my podcast last year and he told me that we used you used to drive together to the training pitch and he learned English thanks to you. Can you tell me more about that? Well yeah, I mean I used to pick him up on the way and his English his English got better and better. But but it was very funny because sometimes, you know, some simple words he couldn't say anything which had an F in it, like Freddy, for, or TH, if you say thank you, he would, he couldn't get the F and the F, he just couldn't understand it. I don't know whether you have it in France, but he really struggled with those. So I always used to say words, ask him to say words with, with TH in and F's in, and he was like, F, 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 he got good. And every now and again, I would, I would try something, some French with him and he'd laugh. He'd give me that. But also, he would also, if we met someone in French, he'd say to me, say this to them. And, and I'd say it, not knowing what it meant. And he would, he would, and I used to get him in trouble. I would, I would, I would say, when Francois was coach and he was struggling with his English, let's say, I'd say, go now, ask, ask France, Francois, Francois some, I'd ask him to ask some silly questions. And he didn't realize that they were silly questions. So every now and again, I'd get him in trouble. <laughs> But uh, he had a glint in his eye, you know. Philip Seller was, uh, he was great fun off the pitch. But on the pitch, amazing, you know. He If was. you think of, look at the centres nowadays there, 
they're like bodybuilders, you know, whereas yes. Philip Bell was fast, agile, and very light. He must have been only 12 and a half stone. Yes. He was in and out. Yeah, it was lovely. And, you know, you came across a very uh, a good point because that's my next question, Kieran, is you, you you said, you know, rugby used to be much more agile, faster. There were more rooms, you know, for players. And now rugby yeah. is a case of brute force, less uh, finesse. And I was reviewing, you know, the, the, the number of players that have been injured in Toulon right now. And right now you've got 13 players that's been injured in Toulon. And it's incredible. And how do you think rugby is moving the right direction? Or we need to look again at the way being, uh, rugby is being played and maybe evolve and have more rules or less rules? Or Yeah, I mean, I think the game is... I think now it's become professional, you know, back row forward to a six foot five are ending up playing on the wing or playing in the centres. The, the game when I started used to be a game of evasion. It was all about evasion. It was about get the ball, get into space, run round people. And I think with the with the, the way the game's gone, with lots of defensive coaches, professional defensive coaches, where they 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 basically tie up all the space on the pitch, and so the only way to go forward is to actually run over people. Okay, so that's the new way to play. You run over them. And the way to run over them is have power, have size. And so that's the, the issue we have now with all the defence systems is, is it becomes like a game of rugby league where you see this collision, ruck, collision, ruck, collision, ruck, collision, ruck, which is like rugby league, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and then if, if they don't go anywhere, then they just kick it. And so now you just see this, this collision kick, collision kick, and it becomes very boring to watch. I think they're trying new laws, the 50-20 rule where you can kick, which means if you go out, then you can end up with a line-out. But it's not really worked in the Premiership because lots of teams have lots of people in the backfield now. and there's, there's, you, you, you come up with a, a, an idea, but actually you, then you lose space somewhere else. So it's, it's, it needs, the, the thing I worry about is head injuries. I'm very passionate about mm-hmm. about you know, players not playing on concussions. A lot of players now are trying to carry on playing whilst they've been knocked out. I think that needs to change. But one thing that might change the game is instead of having any replacements come onto the pitch, is to have no replacements come onto the pitch. And what that will create is that will create fitter players, smaller players, more agile players who can last for the whole match. Instead of having, like... NFL team come on from the bench, eight guys come up and just like try to power through. So that's something they could look at. When I first played for England, none of the bench were allowed on the pitch unless a person came off was stretched off. Right. So I think that that could be a way to make the players thinner. But what the players will say is, oh, that's not fair because... I can't get in the first team and I'm hardly playing. So mm-hmm. you're, 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 you're changing the laws to stop me getting 25 minutes. But I think it'd be good for the game. I think it would change the game. We could also look at changing the tackle height. The reason why we have high tackles now is because rugby league defence coaches are teaching them to stop the ball being offloaded. So the priority is to go high, hit the ball and then hold them in the tackle. So maybe if we reduce that, 
the tackle below the waist, maybe everyone will start offloading, which will mean you'll have two lines of defence. So yeah, that's 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 my feeling. You could play around with the rules and try and get fitter players, smaller players, and make the game evasion and not collision. You should work for World Rugby. Oh no, I keep no, no. They wouldn't have me. I'm too, I'm too drastic. It's interesting, you know. I mean, there needs to be change with the head injuries, definitely. But um, mm -hmm. they're looking at all these things. But World Rugby to make change will probably take. 100 years. Well, yeah, maybe. Let's go back to your heydays when you were playing for England because I'm so, so happy you are MBE, a World Cup winner. You were part of the squad that lifted the Web Ellis Cup in 2003. And, you know, yeah. in my podcast, guess what? I spoke with some of your teammates. I spoke with Dan Lugar, Ben Cohen, Ian Bolshow. You are my fourth yeah. one. So cool. tell me about uh, how was it? How did it feel, you know, to, to play? It was amazing. It was like, it felt like the stars were written for us. It kind of felt that it was our destiny. You know, we, we lost many Six Nations finals, Grand Slam deciders against Wales and Ireland and France, and we lost big games. And I think those losses gave us sort of like more resolve in that year in 2003. We won the Grand Slam against Ireland, and that was our first real trophy. And the biggest thing, there was a lot of competition for places. I was ahead of Matt Dawson. He was ahead of me. I was ahead of him. He was ahead of me. And so you had that in the team. You know, we had really good players in every position, you know. So, you know, like Martin Johnson would be under a lot of pressure for, from Simon Shaw. who'd be playing really well. Ben Kay would play well. You'd have all of these really good players all the time. Danny Grucock, you know, and we had this sort of, we had like two teams and you could pick two different teams all the time. And also, we had a lot of leaders. We had Jason Leonard, you know, Lawrence Delalio. We had, obviously, Johnny Wilkinson. In that team, there was probably, and I captained a few times, there was probably about 10 players who captained England in that squad. So you ended up having this large amount of leadership people in the team, and that certainly helped. We also had the... We had... Johnny, who could obviously kick the goals, but we also had Jason Robinson, who could who could fly past anyone, no matter how big they were. So we had we had the ability to to play differently against different people. It wasn't an easy transition. We didn't play well in the final. Played really well against France in the semi final. That was our best game. <coughs> Don't remind me. Yes, I've got the book here of the World Cup 2003. <laughs> so you played against Gatier, Dominici. Betsen and the yeah, usual suspect. Yeah. yeah, so we 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 played our best for that game. Oh no! Don't say just that. To, You're hurting me. <laughs> yeah, like just just to nail it, nail it in the coffin of the French rugby for that year. But I think we lost to France in the in the in the Six Nations. You They did. Beat us. Yes. Yeah. So that's that was I was I started for England in that game and I got dropped because Serge Betsen tackled me about. 60 times off the ball that's horrible so, <laughs> I can I, imagine I would have I would have been playing in the World Cup final if it wasn't for Serge Betson that's why I keep telling <laughs> but no so the World Cup final was very dramatic going into extra time but you know what was really nice was there was, there was a lot of players who played as amateurs in that team so you know Jason Leonard you know 
Martin Johnson, these players, Lars Delalio, lo- lots of us started out as amateurs and played for our clubs, played for no mm. run, no money. And 10 years later, there we were being paid, playing for England, winning a World Cup. And it was just, it was just very memorable, very memorable. Amazing, amazing. So do you think now it's time for France to lift that trophy in 2023? France was the runner-up runner three times. So, and, and then what do you make of you of Antoine Dupont as well, the new rugby star as a scrum half? I've got two questions oh, into one. Amazing. He's absolutely amazing. Um, I've got, I've got three boys and all of them doing well in rugby. And I keep showing, I keep watching, showing Dupont how he plays and saying, look what he's doing. Look at his lines of running. I, I, I think he's amazing. You know, he has to be. Probably one of the best players in the world at the moment. Yes. When he's on form, he makes a big difference to France and his ability to see space. Mm-hmm. His ball skills are so good, but he has the X factor, you know. He has, yes. You know, so, look, you know, lots of, lots of number nines. They can pass a ball, they can kick a ball. Yeah. But he has this vision. He has this ability to change the game mm-hmm. like, like this. So, This is something I really like, and I get my boys to watch him. So, yeah, no, he's very good. But you also have quite a few good number nines who are behind him. I'd hate to be French to be, you know. So, but yeah, France, France, it's very exciting now. It's been a long time coming, you know. Yes. Uh, you've been in the wilderness since 2003, maybe, you know. Mm-hmm. And in the era two, the world needs a good French team. So, yes. well, You know, we can say to Australia, South Africa, New Zealand, look what we've got in Europe. I mean, some of the rugby being played is amazing. So, yeah, it's great to see France back. You know, the powerhouse, they're a powerhouse. You have such strong clubs. But for some reason, I think the strong clubs works against you. The club power is probably more than the international team. But I think it's important for France to succeed. You know, if anyone was to win the World Cup, I'd like it to be. England first and then France. <laughs> Come on, no. I would prefer the, the, the opposite. And, and my very last question. So have you ever received any offers to play in France? Because, you know, Ben Cohen went to play for Brive. I would love to. I would love to. And, and it would have helped with my French. Um, <laughs> I didn't get any offers. And I think I know why I didn't get any offers. Well, I think... Players started going to play in France in maybe 2001, 2002. Yeah. I was coming to my international career ending in 2003. But one thing that France do is they do have a lot of good number nines, you know. If, if you can think of how many number nines have gone to play in France, there's not many. There's not many, really. I can't mm-hmm. think of any at all. I mean, maybe no. lots of number 10. Lots of maybe back row or second row, some wingers, you know, but real number nines. Tell, you tell me what international nines have played in France. Maybe uh, Justin Marshall, maybe have gone to France. Yes, you're right. But I can't yeah. think of many nines from like yeah. Australia gone over to France. Oh. I'd love to have. I think it would have been yeah. a great challenge. Oh, well, it's never too late. As you know, you know, Philippe Sella. Philippe Sella's got a big house and he's always happy to invite uh, his former teammate. And he told me that he was so happy to have learned English thanks to you, you know. So on that note, we'll finish off. It's been really a nice, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Yeah. And I would... 
Yeah. Hey, it's my, my French comp, compa, compatriots, you know, Alain Pernod, Califano, Benazzi, all of these players. Ibanez, Rafael Ibanez, I played with him for years. Is On the pitch, they were amazing, but off the pitch, they were they were awesome people, which is, uh, which is great. Abdel is great. He was on my podcast as well last year. So you need to listen to it. <laughs> you got some catch-up hey, to do. <laughs> Lovely to speak with you. Yeah, as usual, as usual. So tell me, what was the your, the, the, the highlights uh, of the weekend for you? Yeah, yeah. Okay, start from 22, Claremont 14. Start from say, be happy with the win. It moves them off the bottom of the table. But Claremont again let them down their scrum was a bit of a shock and Makalu was absolutely outstanding for Stade Francais two tries for um, Naya Kalevu I think that's how you pronounce it for Stade Francais four penalties and for Claremont a try for Raka and penalties for Hanrahan but Stade Francais would be happy with that win at home but Claremont really need to sort this out Yes, I'm talking about, you know, uh, bottom of the league. You know, we currently have Biarritz. Yeah. Biarritz, who played last weekend against Lyon. And this weekend, I mean, last weekend, two brothers played against each other. Do you know who they were? For Bordeaux, for uh, no. Biarritz. It was Baptiste Couillou and Bernabe Couillou. Yeah, well, you yeah. Stats this morning. Always, always. I do lots of reading, you know, lots of research. It's all in the details. And yes, yeah, so it was uh, it was battle at the top. And, you know, it was uh, quite an exciting game to, to watch. You know, you could see a little bit of animosity <laughs> yeah. and playfulness as well on the pitch. And, you know, just for our English friends, you know, the reason why Mako Vunipula and Billy Vunipula plays together in Saracen is because their mother always told them, I don't want you to fight against each other. So that's why they joined Saracen <laughs> together. So another interesting stat. Yeah. So in terms of Biarritz versus Lyon, tough time for Biarritz. You know, the final score yeah. was 5 to 40. Stefan Armitage with the captain at the end of the game said, you know, it wasn't, they were not feeling too great. I think they are w working really, really, really hard. They're using lots of brute force and They haven't stopped. They don't have that many players in, in their squad. They're getting getting tired. So as soon as I think the autumn international is going to start, I think he will give them a reprieve and maybe it would be easier to, 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 to win. So Toulouse versus Bo. So from the bottom, I go to the top. Yeah. I'm going to be very brief. 38 to 10. But surprise, surprise, Mike, Bo was leading during halftime. Yes, seven. Paul was uh, leading seven to nil. Wow! And then Toulouse obviously woke up and they scored five tries. And yes, there's six wins. Yeah, very impressive, aren't they? Well, I yes. watched um, the most dreadful game on Sunday. Toulon and Breve. It really hard to watch. It was an awful game. Toulon won 13 points to nine. 13 points all came from fly half bellow. A try conversion and two penalty goals. Uh, the pitch was dreadful. It was cutting up and it really was an awful, awful game. Can you elaborate more? What do you mean by that? Well, it was 
There was no flow to it. Both teams made errors. As I say, the pitch was dreadful. It kept cutting up in mitigation for Toulon. They've got about 13 players injured at the moment, but one of those dreary games that, you know, really nothing, nothing good to be said about. In fact, I, I gather even the um, Toulon crowd booed their own players coming off. So, Right, yeah. Good for, for Brive because they're still in the top six, you know, so well, yeah. done, well done to Brive. Really pleased with them. So, back the win. Uh, overall score was 29 to 10 and the best scorer of the match was somebody you might have heard of, somebody to, to watch, Pierre Popelin. He scored, do you know how many points he scored? No. 19 But... points. Wow. Yes, and uh, yeah, poor Castro, you know, they, they were not really to their usual, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's pleasing to see La Rochelle, you know, ramping up as well. Maybe they listened to our podcast last week and having some the psychologists uh, coming over to the club to help them yeah. absorb oh, the moving They're certainly moving in the right direction. Yes. Well, I watched Bord uh, Bordeaux against... Uh very close game. Bordeaux 27, Montpellier 23. Uh, Bordeaux had a pretty good lead, 20 points to six. Four tries for Bordeaux to two for Montpellier. Helio Tamifunu, I can never pronounce his name. Sayoteni and Lamotte tries for Bordeaux. Bordeaux will be delighted with a win that takes them up to second place table. And Montpellier down to eight so close so close it's the battle at the top after yeah. six games so yours must be a happy happy man well it's quite rare actually <laughs> to seem happy yeah well you know Racing 92 played it wasn't the best game for Racing 92 lots of mistakes and so on and Jacques Lorez actually congratulated Perpignan at the end of the game Yes. Because they, they were extremely tenacious, they hang it there, you know, they don't have that many yeah. international. <laughs> they don't have any international. No, absolutely. They went the prodi to last uh, last season. So this week, my team of the week, Mike, is Perpignan, aka USAP. I raise my beret to Perpignan because of they showed so much hard work, tenacity, they didn't let it go. And yeah. uh, despite their the, the loss, you know, they, they really fought hard. So I, I do like this sort of team that shows us that have everything really? you know, in, the, in, the, in the bellies. They had fires in the bellies. So it could have gone either way, but, you know, Hasinger did it at the end. Is that, uh, okay, yeah. so tell me, what's the ranking now? Well, in first place, we've got Toulouse, as you already say, six out of six. Second place, uh, Bordeaux. Third, Lee. Racing. Fifth is uh, Brief. Sixth, Castres. Eighth, Montpellier. Ninth, Toulon. Tenth, La Rochelle. Eleventh, Twelfth, uh, Pepignon. Thirteenth, Stade Francais. Biarritz. Yes. So, so Coming up this weekend, on Saturday, we've got Breve against La Rochelle, fifth against tenth. Uh, Cass against uh, Biarritz, sixth against Poe. They play Bordeaux, seventh against second. Pepin 
home to Stade Francais. That's interesting game, 12th against 13th. Montpellier against 8th against 11th. Toulon, they face Rast. Uh, that's ninth against fourth. And then on Sunday, another cracking game between third and top of the table. Leon, they're at home to Toulouse. Mm, interesting, interesting. Game there. Indeed, indeed. Late. First news regarding rugby, Autumn International is going to start on the 6th of November. France will be playing against Argentina in Stade de France. Then it will be followed by Georgia. And this time they're going to play in, can you remember the name of that stadium in Bordeaux? I'm testing your knowledge of the French stadium. Stade... I've actually been there. Chaban Delma, is that it? That's right. That's right. That was the name of a former resistant and, and a minister as well. Yeah. Funnily enough, from, the only game from... I've seen is a, is a football match, and that was in the 1998 World Cup that was held in France. And I saw a game between Mexico and Belgium. So Are I've you never talking seen about football rugby or rugby? Yeah, yeah. No, I was saying that's the only sporting scene at that stadium is football. Oh, yeah, it's the wrong game. Wrong shape of wood. Yeah. <laughs> you need to be on another podcast, mate. Meow. <laughs> 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 and then 20th of November, okay, la crème de la crème is going to be versus the All Blacks. Yeah, wow. What a game that's going to be. Huh? Yes. And you know, we had the announcement of the of the players that were playing the Autumn International by Eddie Jones, by Wen Pivak. But nothing, no news yet from, from Fabien Gatier. I'd imagine the French squad will be announced very soon. The reason the Welsh squad is announced early is they've got a game on the 30th of October against the All Blacks. So uh, they start their autumn campaign against the other sides. French lesson. Mike. So as you know, you know, this week we had two brothers playing against each other, you know, the Cuyus brothers. So how do you say a fly half in French? No, I know this. No, it's gone out of my mind. And demi de mêlée. rugby friends i hope you enjoyed our podcast we do apologize for the sound quality it wasn't that great you know put the blame on mike he was doing the podcast from a car park somewhere down in the middle of nowhere <laughs> yes i'll have a better next week I, can... <laughs> I should hope so i should hope so mike <laughs> but well we look forward to hearing your feedback and if you like it please comment and please share to your rugby friends Oh, including oh. you, Mike. Including don't forget, me. Don't forget to, to share to your rugby network. Yeah, of course. I'll got send it to, I'll send it all my friends, both of them. <laughs> That's what I thought. <laughs> and actually, your best friend is your dog. It's you and your dog. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that's only like, quite right. <laughs> On that note, rugby friends, you will have a lovely weekend and, and speak to you next week. La pendule fait tic-tac, tic-tic. 
les oiseaux du lac pic pac pic pic glou 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 font tous les dindons et la jolie cloche ding ding dong mais boum quand notre cœur fait boum tout avec lui dit boum et c'est l'amour qui s'éveille